0: Hello, everybody. It is Corey Poirier. And I'm really excited to be back with the latest edition of the show. So really excited as well to have a actually a a first time guest with us today. And so Wes, really excited to bring you onto the show. And I guess probably the best starting point would be to get you to tell us a little bit about your backstory and your journey for our listeners who may be discovering you for the very first time today.
1: Well, I was groomed to be a salesman by joining the Air Force. Wow. Not really. That had <laughs> nothing to do with sales. But I did join the Air Force, which goes to show you can be anything you want to be. You can even join the military and get out and be an entrepreneur and be a sales trainer and a writer and a speaker and a marketer and all that fun stuff, right? Um, after uh, leaving the Air Force in 97, I, I jumped right into commission sales. You know, I left a very comfortable job, you know, I went to the Air Force Academy, so I I could have spent 20 years in the military, Um, housing provided, health care provided, you know, guaranteed raise every year, and um, I wanted to be paid according to my production, you know, not my time and grade, and um, so with a wife, we had a a young son, he was, um, golly, I don't know, six, seven months old, and um, I left, Uh, she was pregnant, we did not know she was pregnant, Uh, if we knew, maybe I'd have stayed in. So, you know, God has uh, has his own plan. But um, I jumped out on my own as a as a stockbroker. I got into retail sales. I was re- recruited into high tech, just as high tech was uh, imploding in 2000, 2001. And um, after six, seven years of futzing around with that and the layoffs and the reorganizations, you know, I figured, hey, nothing can be... Uh, any more unreliable and unpredictable as that. So I launched out on my own, created the Sales Whisperer in 2006 and uh, went full-time into it in
0: 2007. Wow. So Wes, I mean, there's so many directions I'd like to go from there, but I, I think the first one that jumps out to me right away is on the sales side What sort of drew you to sales? Because, you know, when I hear that background, uh, it kind of seems like uh, the sales side, um, it it seems like you were starting down that path, but it doesn't seem like, you know, you were born and said, I want to be a salesperson. (laughs) So, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you started down this path.
1: Well, I, yeah, I mean, I jumped into sales, right? I, I wanted to be paid according to my production. And... I'd never been in sales, but uh, I, I don't know. I figured I could do it. Usually, when I put my mind to something, I do it. Um, and and I knew, well, I knew some people, or I knew some people in the industry I was going into as a stockbroker. Uh, so I didn't just randomly pick something. So I picked somewhere that I, I thought I would have some support. Ended up not having that kind of support. That's a whole nother story. Um, but yeah, it was just I, I would see people spending their entire career in the military and to a very large degree, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're going to have to spend an X amount of time at each level. Right. I mean, whereas an entrepreneur, you can be a millionaire at age 20, you know, you can be a millionaire as a teenager. Uh, You can own your own business and multiple employees um, by whatever age, but not in the military. You've got to put that time in. And, um, I just realized I was a little bit too much of a rebel and I uh, had to go out and plot my own course.
0: So, we hear a lot that entrepreneurs, uh, they discover early on or at least at some point that they're unemployable. <laughs> Would you put yourself into that category as well? Did, did you
1: sort of? Oh, yeah. Yep, very much.
0: And so, I guess then, you know, you and I had a sort of an offline chat, but we were talking about, uh, you know, some sales trainers. I think we even talked about Zig Ziglar the late Zig Ziglar. I'm curious, your, you know, when you started out in sales, did you have people, and I think of Zig because he was a sales trainer, I really feel first and foremost, but did you have people that inspired you to go down that path and people that you looked to and said, I can learn from this person or I like what they're doing? Or did you just, like you said, about the, the entrepreneurial journey, did you just say, I want to take that path and I think I can make this sales thing work?
1: Well, it was actually, when I was still in the Air Force, I got exposed to network marketing. And that's where I got exposed to Zig Ziglar and Tom Hopkins and Brian Tracy and Tony Robbins. And so that was really what kind of lit my fire. And, and Zig was, yeah, a very uh, early uh, influence, you know, instrumental influence in, in my deciding to go out into sales. Um, I still have his books, still have his audio books, so listen to them regularly. You know, when I'm at the gym, when I'm on a long drive, I'm not listening to music. You know, I'm listening to podcasts, I'm listening to Zig Ziglar, uh, because he's, I like his style, I like his approach, you know, his integrity, and um, so yeah, he he did have a big role.
0: And so, Wes, I want to dive into the, I guess, the sales side of things, in terms of, the struggles that people have and and even I guess we could say why there is a need for a sales whisperer you know because there is and so the question becomes what what drives that and so I'd like to get your thoughts because you have obviously a great opportunity to work with organizations that struggle with sales with individuals that struggle with sales and I know you and I chatted about this a little bit as well about you know even entrepreneurs a lot of entrepreneurs people might not think if they're not in entrepreneurship that entrepreneurs even struggle with sales because they are taking so many big risks they would think it must come naturally. So can you first of all talk about what you've seen in terms of why people seem to struggle with sales and and how, I guess, how far spread is that?
1: Yeah, pretty much everybody intuitively hates sales and marketing it's a crazy thing. But then they get into into entrepreneurship, being a business owner and they struggle. Uh, And I think the reason they hate sales and because it's because they they don't understand what a true professional salesperson is, what a true professional salesperson does, how they work. Uh, so they uh, all they know is is the cheesy salesperson, the high pressure used car salesman, right? People like that, and of course nobody wants to be like that. But then when you think back, you think of a good life insurance agent, a good attorney. You know when you're in trouble you need some help, you know, you want to make sure you've got somebody on your side. And so, there's always an expert in those fields that we always disparage, right? Those people are the professionals, you know, the professional attorney, the professional car salesman. I mean, I I bought three cars from a local BMW dealership because I like the sales guy. Uh, And I give him a shout out every time I can. And so, You need to understand that, you know, selling comes from the Norwegian word that means to serve. And so, start serving, right? Find a need and fill it. That's really what salespeople do. And um, on the marketing side, you know, we're raised to be modest, be humble, don't brag, don't toot your own horn. But now when you own a business, if you don't toot your own horn, who will? right? And so we grow up with this, you know, these ideas, these concepts. Uh, And and most entrepreneurs, they suffer from, you know, what Michael Gerber calls, you know, in the e-myth, right? It's an entrepreneurial myth. Most people are managers or they are doers. They're not salespeople. They're not the creative types. And so they think, hey, if I just am a good web designer, if I'm a good carpenter, if I'm a good electrician, people would just know and they'll call me and I'll have a good business and it's not true. You know, even the whole um, build a better mousetrap, uh, it's a myth. You know, uh, a salesman named Albert Hubbard took that quote and prettied it up. Uh, Like 28 years after, I think it was Thoreau that wrote it originally, Um, 28 years after he died, a salesman improved it and accredited it to him. And rightly so, because he basically did say it, but a salesman told a better truth, okay? And having the ability to do that does not come naturally to us, okay? I mean, it just doesn't. And so you have to learn, you know, I tell sales owners that their number one job is to market their business because, you know, even if you are the absolute best web designer, the best carpenter in the entire world, you can hire two or three other people and teach them to be 80 or 90% as good as you, right? And then maybe you, maybe you come on behind them and clean it up and make it, make it excellent. Uh, but nobody will ever care about your business like you do. No one will know your story, uh, the passion. So you better get comfortable marketing your business uh, or you better get comfortable basically not hitting your goals.
0: Wow. So, you know, Wes, I guess that that dives into further into how you help people. So as, as the sales whisperer, what does that look like? So organizations must approach you and say, we're struggling with sales. Individuals must approach you and say, you know, maybe solo entrepreneurs, I'm struggling. Uh, so what does that look like? They come to you and, and basically say, help, you know, we're, we're struggling on the sales side. And then you would help them. Would you help them put in sales processes? Or what does that look like from that point?
1: Yeah, all the above. But you need to realize, too, even when you're sick, you don't tell the whole truth to your own doctor they got to poke and prod, right? Maybe you're embarrassed or whatever. So people don't just show up and say, I have this $100,000 problem. I'm willing to pay, you know, $50,000 to make it go away. Can you help? Right. Because they've been ripped off. They've been abused. They've been mistreated by unethical, greedy, pushy salespeople. So yes, to a degree, you know, the people, it's, it's like dating, you know, it's like the girl's interested but she can't appear to be too interested because then you'll think she's easy, right? So they, they play coy, they play hard to get. Yeah, we might be kind of interested. Yeah, maybe you can, we might have this problem. Okay, the reality is when your prospects, if, if they truly understood the ramifications of their issues, they would have already solved them, okay? So because they're reaching out to you, that could be good, that could be bad. Um, if they have an idea, if they're calling you for a quote, it means they've already either self-diagnosed, which could be dangerous, or they've already gotten a quote, and now they're looking for a second opinion. And that could be dangerous as well. Um, So you've gotta be careful when you approach these prospects or when they approach you uh, to truly dig down and find the problem. Because something like very obvious, Uh, to the outsider would be, well, yeah, everybody wants to grow their sales. You know, So people come to me, oh, uh, I want to grow my sales. And most sales trainers, consultants would just start jumping up and down. Yeah, yeah, I can help you grow your sales. But I always turn it around them and say, why is that important? Who besides you cares? How much do you want to grow your sales and by when? Okay, because You know, a friend of mine, my own sales mentor, uh, I got to see him a couple weeks ago down in Southern Florida, uh, Panhandle of Florida. You know, he's 67 years old. He doesn't want to grow his sales. He's got a good business. He's got all the work he can handle. Uh, He only works three days a week. And and that's what he wants. So no, not everybody wants to grow their sales. So you got to dig in. And and when I asked that question, why do you want to grow your sales? Why is that important? Who else besides you cares? When I ask questions that they're not expecting, I'm much more likely to get the truth. Because we all play little scripts. We all follow, uh, it's all theater, right? I say, hey, Corey, good to see you. How are you? And Corey says,
0: most people say awesome or fantastic or great.
1: Yep, I'm fine. How are you? Right? You just go back and forth. That's a script, you know. But I tell people all the time, I don't want to use a script. I'm not, uh, it makes me feel constricted and bound up, and I can't be myself. I can't let my personality show. But we all live on a script anyway. When they call, hey, Corey, this is Wes. How are you today? You're like, oh my gosh. Hey, Corey, this is Wes. How's the weather up in Canada? Is it really cold right now? And you're like, oh my gosh, why did I answer this phone? That's a script. And so, you know, they, they don't know the level of and the impact of their situation. That's why they're still shopping. It's our job as salespeople to, I call it hurt and rescue. Okay, just like the doctor, you know, you go in and say, hey, my arm hurts. What does the doctor do? He starts poking your arm and bending it. He wants to see where does it hurt? How bad does it hurt? Is it a shooting pain? Is it a throbbing pain? okay, and then he rescues you from the pain, the same thing we have to do in sales, why is that an issue, right, and, and once you get to the truth, and once, and you can't really get to the truth, you have to get the prospect to admit to the truth, okay, the doctor can't tell you, hey, Corey, your elbow hurts, you're like, what are you talking about, fool, my knee hurts, <laughs> no, no, it's your elbow, no, fool, it's my knee, and I'm leaving, right, we have to get the prospect to admit their pain and to come to terms and recognize the severity of it, and then they'll be willing to do something about it. If you can, you know, they say, well, we need to grow our sales. Well, why do you need to grow your sales? Well, you know, we're, we're looking to expand. Why do you want to expand? Well, because our competition's moving in and they're cutting into our territory. If we don't expand, we're going to go out of business. Okay, fine. How much do you need to expand? We need to expand, you know, 20% this, you know, the next year. Okay. Uh, in round numbers, what does that look like? Is that hundred thousand dollars? Is that a million dollars? Is that $10 million? What does, what does 20% mean? Yeah, it's a, it's a million dollars, you know? So, okay, fine. So now that I have a number, right? And I say, you know, what happens if you don't hit that goal? Well, we don't hit that goal and I got I gotta lay people off. Why is that a problem? Well, it's a family-owned business. You know, I may have to lay off my cousin, you know, my brother, you know, my sister. Like, oh, wow. How's that going to work at Thanksgiving? Yeah, it's going to be terrible. Okay, so you need to make a million dollars and keep your family. How much are you willing to invest to make that happen? Okay, so now if I propose a $100,000 coaching program plus software plus an ad spend, but it can generate a million dollars. Now that $1,000 doesn't seem so crazy because we can put it in perspective, right? But if I just cold call, hey, Corey, I see your business. You got a little competition. I got this 100 dollars plan for your sales. You'll be like, what the heck are you talking about? I'm not spending $100,000, right? Because I, I prescribed before I diagnosed, you know? And even if I diagnosed it accurately, you weren't part of the process
0: so one of the things Wes you and I were talking about uh, yesterday as well when we were just having a, a conversation about salespeople and what have you is the struggle I mentioned that I used to work with somebody who struggled with asking for the order and so I'd like to get your thoughts on that side of things but also I guess the flip side of that is that salesperson that we fear because they're too pushy you know asking for the order I guess, too often or too pushing too hard for. Where is that sort of healthy balance based on what you've seen?
1: Well, if you're doing it right, the sale becomes a natural conclusion. Um, but it, you have to set it up properly. Okay, I've got a free thing I give away. It's called the sales agenda. So it's the salesagenda.com. And it's the actual script, uh, not necessarily the script, but it has a video, there's a handout, there's a, an actual agenda that you can use. And I go over that verbally, I send it in an email, uh, then we show up to meet in person, I review that in person, I bring printed copies for everyone there. Uh, because, you know, I call it, you know, you have to close first, then present. And so what I mean by that, if you have ever, if you have kids, you know of kids, right, Kids do that. And parents do that with their kids. You know, mommy, mommy, can I watch a movie? You know, can I watch TV? Well, brush your teeth, you know, go take a bath, get your pajamas on, brush your teeth. Then you can watch a show for 30 minutes. That's closing first, right? Do what I want and I'll give you what you want. In sales, we show up and we pitch and pitch and pitch. We present, present, present. And then the prospect just takes notes. We let them know we're there for them. Hey, take as long as you want. You know, I'm here at your leisure. Beat me up. Do what you want. You got to turn that around. You know, hey, Corey, I'm glad I could find the time to meet. Look, I've got another call coming up in 20 minutes. So it would be okay if we just jump right into this. Boom. All of a sudden, you know, this isn't some one or two hour dog and pony show. Okay, I can't cover 87 slides in 20 minutes. And I also let you know, I'm not desperate. I'm in demand. So all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're not going to sit here and just answer all my questions and jump when I say jump? So you're already putting them on notice that this is going to be different. Okay, and so when when you understand how to reframe things, how to set the tone, how to take control, and when you understand, when you have a mutually agreed upon agenda ahead of time, and you and in that agenda, you know, I tell them, "Hey, I'm going to show up with a lot of questions, probably more questions than you ever thought possible about your industry and your business. You may want to jot down a few for me." So I tell them, and then they agree to that. They may not know what they're agreeing to because they've never heard of this before, right? But I'm using simple words. Hey, Corey, I'm going to come over. I'm asking some questions. You may want to write down a few for me. And at the end. We will decide what the next steps are, even if there are no next steps. So, Corey, based on that quick agenda, do you still want to have this meeting? Right? And they all say yes. It's like, fantastic. I'll see you Tuesday at 2. Right. So when I show up, I'm not hemming and hawing and worrying about a sale. I'm there to get to the truth. I'm there to see if there's chemistry. I'm there to see if they're open and honest with me because I'm going to be open and honest with them. If they don't answer my questions, we don't do business. If I don't like the way they answer their questions, we don't do business. Right? So you can never show up and appear hungry or desperate. Okay? If you show up like that, you're done. You will not make the sale. And if you do make the sale, it's going to be at a deep discount. And they're going to push you away all, all over the place. You're going to wish you never made that sale. You know, So that's how you got to turn things around on, on getting the order.
0: And so an important distinction there, Wes, just before we start to uh, wind ourselves down, there's never enough time because I, I, I could talk sales all day in terms of um, there's so many questions that I have, but uh, one I wanted to ask you about, and you just said a key thing, you can't, you can't act to them or show them or demonstrate to them that you're hungry or desperate. Can I add a caveat and ask you if this is a fact or, or what your thoughts are on this, which is even if they are. So in other words, even if yes. that person is hungry and desperate. It, the idea is they still can't show that to the customer. Is that correct?
1: Exactly. You cannot show up freaking out like that. Uh, so you really, you got to be in control. <clears throat> and and I, and I know sometimes that's tough, right? But it, it's just, it's psychology. It's it's in our brains. Uh, literally, wi- we're wired that way. Uh, when we see something that, that doesn't jive, if we see something, uh, you know, that just isn't, if it's not scarce, if it's not unique, right? It's, it's why, you know, copper is, I don't know, a dollar or whatever it is, a pound, but gold is, you know, $1,500 an ounce. The rarer something is, the more value we place on it. Uh, so, and that's the biggest thing really that I get into in my sales training I give people scripts and ideas and and things to say and rebuttals. But ultimately, I'm giving them those ideas really just so they're comfortable and confident entering the arena. Uh, Ultimately, I want you to just be present. okay? Because when you're present and you are looking them in the eye, and you're not worried about things your true self is going to come out and then you got to recognize and realize your true self is good enough you know so you're looking for people that connect with you the way you are and so you just you got to be cool with you know <clears throat> maybe you'll lose that sale and that's all right because you need to literally respect yourself in the morning Right. If you give this stuff away, you're going to hate yourself. Then you're going to start hating sales. And before you know it, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? And you you just, you end up failing because uh, you let yourself, talk yourself into this downward spiral. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I can't sell at full price. I have to discount. And it's tough to recover from that.
0: So, Right away when you were sharing that, Wes, for whatever reason, one, one person that popped into my head uh, that I used to work with. And uh, this gentleman used to go out on his sales calls. And I kid you not, it still blows my mind when I think about it. But he would talk uh, about uh, his family and having two kids and the struggle with that. And it's like he basically was trying to convince the customer to pity him and then buy the product. We were selling photocopiers at the time. And he would literally say, you know, I hope I can eat this weekend. <laughs> like, And I mean, he would try that and think that was a strategy. And not surprising probably to you, but ultimately he was mostly the lowest uh, numbered, if you want to go by rankings, salesperson at close to 20 every month and couldn't figure it out. And trying to explain to him that customers aren't stupid. If they hear that you're barely hanging on and you're telling me barely hanging on this month, then they know that next month if they have a problem with the machine, they're not going to be able to hold you accountable because you're not probably going to be there, but he could not get that. Nah. His head. So when you mention that, that's, he's the person that pops in my head every time I think of that, that hungry and desperate, because not only did he show the customer he needed the sale, he actually verbally told the customer, I might starve if I don't get it.
1: Yeah. And I remember years and years ago, I was kind of new in sales and a high school buddy of mine in Houston, I was, uh um, I was out there for a meeting and uh, stayed with him and he was still is a mortgage broker and he drove a Porsche and I remember thinking and I asked him, I was like, man, is that, is that smart to do? You know, because you're going to, are, are your prospects going to think, you know, Hey, you're, you're making too much money. Right. And so then they're going to beat you down on price, whatever. And, you know, they think they're getting ripped off. And he said, you know, it's the exact opposite. People like to be around successful people. Uh, and showing up in a nice car. I mean, they know, hey, the guy, you know, he's got to be helping a lot of people if he can afford those kind of uh, that kind of car. And uh, and it was the truth, you know, and I saw that. And, you know, I live here in Southern California uh, and it's it's a big deal. You know, that's why I've driven BMWs, Mercedes. I got a Porsche now. Um, and, and people, and it's like, I'm from the South, man. I, I'm happy in a 4x4 four four truck, you know, keep things simple. Um, I mean, I literally, you know, used to have a hat rack in my truck. So I'm fine with that. But I know where I live. I recognize it. Okay, so I've, I've got to play the game okay, for where I am, and, uh, but people, when you, when you appear successful and confident, then you're on the right track, and you know, Zig Ziglar talked about that, you know, selling is the transference of a feeling, and that feeling is confidence, so you have to be confident, even if you're not, because you, at a minimum, you should be confident in the product that you're selling, Okay, And let that come through. If you're not confident in the the product that you're selling, then go find another product to sell so you can be confident. Even if you're not really making a lot of money at it, but you know it serves a need, that it meets the needs, it's a quality solution backed by good people, then you can be confident and you'll make more sales.
0: So Wes, I mentioned that I wanted to make sure I asked you three questions we ask everybody we bring on the show. These are kind of the only sort of official questions. First one is about the word passion and, and purpose or your why, whatever word you want to put on that. But when it comes to selling, how important do you think it is for a person to be passionate about what they're selling and selling in general? Like, Do you think it's, it's necessary? Do you think it's, it's just a bonus or what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, you know, there's the old adage, do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And I think that has led a lot of people down uh, a bad path. Ultimately, selling is about finding a need and filling it. Okay, there's probably a lot of people that own pest control companies and porta john servicing companies and septic tank companies. They probably didn't grow up thinking, you know, when I grow up, I want to clean septic tanks. Okay. But if you watch Dirty Jobs, there's this guy in, uh, you know, they were emptying, they were emptying that truck, you know, and it's a foul smell. And that guy, you know, Mike Rose like, Oh my gosh, it's terrible. And the owner's like, that smells like money to me.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, he found a need and he filled it. Somebody in his, in his area, wasn't servicing septic tanks, wasn't servicing porta johns Okay. So, and that's why I tell people every business is the same because people are like, Can you help me? Do you have any experience in the Portageon industry? It's like, Well, I help humans sell to humans. So, if you sell to humans, yeah, I can probably help you. <laughs> you know, because at the end of the day, whether you're buying computers at Dell or, you know, selling IT equipment to, to Google, you know, selling socks and bonds at the kitchen table uh, from, to husband and wife, which I've done all of the above it's the same process ultimately. How, how do you connect with, with those humans? You know, so as long as you, like I said, feel good about what you sell and you know it, there's a need and you're finding the need and filling it, then, um, then you'll be fine in sales.
0: And then I guess, uh, the, the, follow up to that is how do you personally define success?
1: Um, you know, it's just, um, living life on your own terms. You know, I mean, I, I don't make as much money as some, you know, I work from home. I'm in my flip-flops right now. My wife has stayed home for 23 years. Uh, we got seven kids. Um, I get to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for two hours a day in the middle. As soon as we finish our interview, you know, I'm going to the gym and I'm going to roll around for two hours with people that I like. Uh, I get to turn down clients that I don't like. Uh, so being in control, uh, I think is success.
0: Love that. And so Wes, my third official question, and I'll give you a heads up, the unofficial question is just going to be how we can learn more. But the third official question is if you were able to sit across from a younger version of yourself and give him a piece of life advice based on what you've learned in the years since, what do you think you might tell him?
1: Uh, trust yourself more. I um, We all do this. Unfortunately, um, I've scaled way back. But I still do it a little bit, but we we think somebody else is smarter than us. Uh, has the answer, like we're not good enough. So you got to buy their program, invest in their course, join their mastermind. And and really, you know, yeah, you'll get a nugget here and there, but it's rare that you'll get a positive ROI on that. So be very discerning in where you go for information. Uh, there really are no shortcuts. Uh, it is true that, you know, birds of a feather flock together. So there's, I've gained good friends and mentors and higher level masterminds and things like that. Um, but it's usually the, the benefits end up being some more intangible thing that I didn't predict when I joined. So invest in yourself, you know, invest in a better website, invest in a salesperson, uh, invest in things that you have total control You know, like right now, as we do this interview, you know, Bitcoin is crashing. It's had I don't know thirty percent this month, and but it was all the rave, right? At Christmas time, you better get on; you're gonna miss the boat. This thing's going to a hundred thousand, right? It went up to nineteen or twenty thousand. Now it's at eight. Um, So and people were jumping on because they were just following what everybody else does. And and I made a post about that. You know, I said if you don't know why you're getting in, you won't know when to get out. Okay, so. People have lost a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand, who knows, hundred thousand dollars or more chasing that. And I'm not saying don't invest in it, right? It, it could very well go to a hundred thousand, it could go to a million. Uh, but what could they have done with that thousand or five thousand or ten thousand so dollars? These same people that say, oh, I don't have money to, for Facebook ads or I don't have money to do a direct mail campaign, they're the same ones dumping a $1, thousand or five thousand or ten thousand dollars into Bitcoin because everybody else is doing it instead of investing in themselves. Right. If they'd have taken that five grand and, and done a nice mail piece and done a direct mail campaign to their top one hundred prospects, I guarantee you they would have made two or five or ten or a hundred x that investment. So invest in yourself.
0: Love it, and I have to say, Wes, that you're sort of—I'll say amen to that. With, when when you mentioned Bitcoin, because just as a, I guess a offside, that I noticed that and. I'm not really on iTunes in terms of checking out shows as much as I'd like to be these days. But for whatever reason, I was on the other day and somebody had asked me, um, they, they said you should check out my show. And so I was on my phone. The easiest way to look it up was I went onto the charts because they told me they were on the charts. Anyway, and I noticed this was probably about, I'm going to say three weeks, four weeks ago. And it was flooded with um, the podcast related to Bitcoin. Or cryptocurrency every, they were basically covering like twenty percent of the top of the charts and then after this all these uh, drops started happening, I noticed when I went back, all of a sudden it was a very small percentage
1: <laughs> well I, I call it the uh, Denny's Waitress uh, School of investing <laughs> okay so when you when you go to Denny's and you're a waiter is telling you that they're a day trader or that they're investing in real estate or that they're doing Bitcoin, then it's probably time to get out, okay? And I saw this, uh, we moved to California in late 2004 and I rented a house for six years. And uh, But everybody literally are waiters at, you know, restaurants. Like, you just get the chit-chat and oh yeah, I'm, I'm flipping properties and blah, blah, blah and like, what? Yeah, I'm quitting my job. I'm doing real estate full time, you know, because we were in a bubble it, and it was a frothy, crazy bubble. And um, so when everybody's talking about it and, you know, and it's easier said than done, right? You got to zig when they zag. Uh, and I forget which of the Rockefeller or one of them, you know, said, you know, you you invest when there's blood in the street, right? You have time to buy is when there's blood in the street. But the, the ending of that was, even if it's your own blood, all right? Most people, they don't have the stomach for that. You know, Bitcoin's going down, so they're going to sell. Bitcoin was going up, so they bought. You know, you have the courage. If you can't explain it on the back of a napkin, if you can't explain something to a fifth grader and have them understand it, then you don't know it well enough to mess with it, okay? Okay. So spend the time learning. Oh, but I can't spend the time. It was at ten thousand. It's going to twenty thousand. The time I've been studying, you know, it's, it's going up. I, I missed this opportunity. Well, now it's back to eight. <laughs> so if you took your time studying, now you would know, and maybe that education. But you know what? It's not. It's not good at eight. If it goes to five, I'll buy. All right. But you can do that confidently, and, and like I said, just very few people do it.
0: So, Wes, my, I promise the unofficial and last question would simply be how can we learn more? You know, so somebody that's been listening to this that wants to dig deeper, they want to learn more about how you might be able to help them. Maybe this is, speaking, uh, this is preaching uh, to their ears, meaning uh, this is what they, they needed to hear. They, uh, this is like speaking to the choir to them. Uh, where would you send them if, if they wanted to basically learn more, reach out, all that kind of good stuff?
1: Uh, I'm very easy to find online. You know, my website is the sales whisperer. Uh, so the um, And from there, I've got a chat on the bottom right of my page. I've got a contact us form. You can find me on social media. So um, I'm very easy to find when you reach out. Um, I do have an assistant, but a lot of times I'll take my own call, schedule my own appointments. So um, reach out, say hello. Let me know I can help.
0: Awesome. Well, Wes, this has been an absolute pleasure. I thank you ever so much for joining us today and for bringing the A game. And even just one of, these, uh, one of these topics of conversation in relation to sales could be transformational for that person that's struggling right now to make that sale. Uh, so thank you so much for making that possible and for taking the time to sit with us today. And uh, we'll hope that you find a way today to live with passion. And it doesn't sound like you have any trouble there.
1: <laughs> it's all good. Thanks for having me.